Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, experiencing the outdoors, and having epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my number one goal for you is to get out and hunt. I'm Skylar Harrison. I'm your host. And today we have a pretty awesome episode with Mr. Stephen James. He is a guide here in Utah, and he spends a ton of time in the field. He has a wealth of knowledge. And we talk about a lot of his stories and his experience, especially with new hunters and the pros and cons and things that you might want to consider if you are going on a guided hunt. So for someone like me who's never been on a guided hunt, it was really nice talking to somebody like Steven who can tell us the ins and outs and things that we can look out for when looking for guides and maybe considerations we might not have thought of when going on a guided hunt. So we get into a little bit of that. We get into some tips and some tactics and some common mistakes from newbies. So this is one you're definitely going to want to listen to. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Stephen James of X Factor Outfitters. All right, Stephen, welcome to the Hunt the West podcast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I'm glad you could do this. Um, I You are one of the people that, the type of person that I really like having on this show because you have a lot of experience and I'm excited to get into some of your stories and all that. So why don't you start out with just introducing yourself to everybody, a little bit of how you got into hunting and uh, just who you are. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm Stephen James. Um, I am a licensed full-time hunting guide. I uh, guide for X Factor Outfitters here in Utah. Um, I've been guiding for quite a while. I, uh, I got started into hunting at an early age. Um, my stepfather that raised me, he was a big hunter when I was, when I was younger and any chance I, I could have going out on the mountain with him, I would go. And I think a lot of it was, you know, I wasn't his blood son. So I wanted to try and prove myself as a, as a son to him that I could hang with him and everything. And there was times where he, you know, we'd be hunting and if I couldn't keep up, he'd leave me sitting there and he'd go off and, and shoot something. He's a, he's an amazing hunter. He's taught me a lot of what I know, but it's funny nowadays, uh, if I go hunting with him, I leave him in spots cause he can't keep up. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's funny. The passion that he instilled into me has just followed me through the years. And as a kid, my, he, he was friends with some guides and some outfitters. And I was like, wow, you get a hunt for a living and you get paid to do it. And you're on the mountain nonstop and you see a lot of animals. That's what I want to do. And so, um, I actually, I joined the army at 17 years old. And I was in for eight or nine years and I got into guiding um, about, I, I want to say when I was 19 or 20. Yeah, I, was, I think I was 19 or 20, probably 20. I'm 30 years old now and I've been doing it for about 10 years. Um, I did mostly out of state stuff when I first started and it was basic, basically when I had time. So I would go guide for a week here, two weeks there, whatever time I could get off from the army. And then um, I ended up getting really sick and getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And so the military basically said, thank you for your service and goodbye. And so I was like, well, the job I had in the military, I couldn't really just go put it on an application and get hired wherever because I had a, a kind of a, a dangerous job. Um, so I was like, well, now's the time to really get into guiding. And that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since. You just pedal to the metal since then, huh? Oh, yeah. And it's been, a, it's been a, a long, I mean, there's guides out there that are 10 times better than me. And there's guides that have been doing it 10 times longer than me. And I mean, I, 
every year I learn something new. I mean, I, I have heartbreaks, I have exciting moments, and I've kind of based my guiding off of the hunter, not not the stigma of what a guided hunt's all about. So it's it's been a it's been pretty fun, and now I do it full time. And like you know, I've been on the mountain since August 10th. I've been home for I think a total of six days since August 10th, and Man. I have a little bit of, I have a little bit of break until next Wednesday. So three or four days from now, um, then I'm back at it again for the late season stuff. Dang. And at the time of this recording, it is October 23rd. So, uh, days in the field is like a very strong (laughs) high point for you. If you've got like a lot of days. (laughs) Yes. and Luckily, you know, our great state, we, our seasons are long season, especially archery. So we start August, I think this year was August 15th and the archery hunts don't end till November 30th for deer and December 15th for elk. So it's a, it's quite a way, quite a long, long season for sure. It's a, a lot of opportunities for clients to, to come, right? Definitely. Yeah. So I think, um, guides kind of have, I feel like there's maybe two schools of thought and maybe you have a better insight on this, but my feeling on guides is there's like kind of two types. Um, and you can correct me and like you share your insight on this subject too, but I feel like some people think that there's guided hunts where everything is provided for them. They don't even have to do a single thing. They want to have an animal placed at their feet at 20 yards and not have to work and do anything, not have to do a single thing to get it done. And then there's like the opposite end of the spectrum on that would be like somebody you pay to take you into somewhere where you're both basically hunting together as partners and they're working with you alongside you. That's kind of my perspective, never having never been on a guided hunt, but, um, that I think people think that everything, everybody falls into that first category, but that's probably not the case. Well, I I think you hit the, the nail on the head with the two types of guided hunts. Um, obviously that first type where, you know, everything's provided, you literally show up and they say, okay, here's your animal, shoot it, and you're done. Those, those typically are your high fence um, or, you know, some sometimes private land hunts can be that way. It all just depends on the outfit. Um, I'm more the second style. I, I've seen really good outfits and I've seen really bad outfits and I've taken all the good stuff and I've tried putting away all the bad stuff. And so my thought process is on a guided hunt is I want you to come out and feel like you're hunting with one of your buddies. And so I have really good relationships with all my clients. I'm not a hundred percent kill. I, uh, I have clients that come out and they don't kill anything, but I'm a hundred percent opportunity. I always get my clients on animals, but weird things happen. I've had a really weird year this year. Um, you know, I, I, I want people, most, most clients that I get are guys that, um, are just getting into hunting. And so I want to show them what hunting's all about. And so you come out, uh, whether we're in a camp trailer at a campground, um, or we're in the back country in wall tents or single man backpacking tents. I want you to get the real experience of what hunting is because <clears throat> I don't expect every client to come back year after year after year. I try to teach guys as much as possible on their hunts. So that way in the future, they can save the money and not have to spend money on a guide and they can go out and do it themselves. Yeah. And so it's, 
Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that is something that I've really considered because, um, so I'm like mostly a mule deer hunter. And then just the last couple of years, I've started getting into elk and archery elk. And it's just like a completely different game. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. I've like, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm wondering to myself, like, what if I just like went on one guided hunt, learned the ropes a little bit, kind of understood elk behavior just to get around animals and then go from there and learn myself. And it sounds like that's kind of the, the type of thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all learning experience, not only for the client, but even as, as a guide, I learn a ton. I learn different people's behaviors. I learn different people's hunting techniques. Um, I, I learn a lot from my clients themselves. Um, like, Hey, you know, I've tried this in the past. Can we try this? Oh yeah, let's try it. And then we, it ends up working and it's like, all right, I'm going to use that on future. Hunts add that to my toolbox. <laughs> exactly. And so I don't, I'm not, I'm no expert by any means. I don't think anybody's an expert at guiding because animals obviously change patterns, change weathers, weather changes. You'll never know exactly how a season is going to go. And yeah. so I anticipate learning new stuff every year. And with my military background, you know, one of the sayings in the army was adapt and overcome. I'm always adapting and trying to overcome all obstacles. And I don't think there's an, there's a hunt out there that there's not an obstacle on. It's, it's definitely a, a huge learning experience. And so when you book a hunt, you know, you have some outfits out there that are by the book. They want the client in, they want to get them the animal. They're strictly going after trophy animals. They want to get them done, get them out, move on to the next client. I'm, I'm a little bit different. I, I believe as a hunter, as an ethical guide and as an ethical hunter, um, you're paying me to take you into the area to show you my knowledge, my experience and help you get that animal. And so I tell all my clients, look, we're going to try to kill you know, a big elk or a big buck or whatever it is, giant bear, lion, a moose. But at the end of the day, if we find an animal and that animal makes you sweat, makes you start getting all, getting the butterflies in your stomach, your heart's racing and you are happy with that animal, whether it's a a little tiny two point or it's a 200 inch buck or, you know, a spike elk versus a 400 inch bull if you're excited about that, you should probably shoot it. So my motto has always been with every outfit I've went with is memories over measurements. Would you rather have the measurements and go to brag all, to all your friends or do you want the memories of the hunt? And I've had hunters on both sides of the, the spectrum there. Uh, for instance, I had a moose hunter last year and it was opening day. We found a pretty decent sized bull moose. There was obviously a lot bigger ones in the area but it was his last hunt. He said he was done hunting after that. He was just getting up there in age, but he had his grandsons with him. And it was, he asked me, do I, should I shoot it? And I said, well, it's kind of up to you, but let me give you my opinion. Your grandsons are here with you. They're leaving tonight. Would you rather wait and we'll try to find you a bigger bull? Or do you want to shoot this, this moose while your grandsons are here with you to experience this? And he chose to do it with his grandsons there and he's never regretted it since. He said that's the coolest thing that's ever happened is his grandkids always talk about that moose hunt with grandpa. And it was his, so his last memory, his last hunting memory was experience with his, his grandsons and his son and his son-in-law. So that's the type of guy that I am. I get, I get flack from all sorts of people like, oh, why are you letting your clients shoot smaller things? And why aren't you getting them 200 inch bucks? 
I'm, they're not paying me to guarantee a 200 buck. I tell people I guarantee an adventure. And so that's what I'm all about. And I think that's a very important thing. Obviously outfitters and guides have a, a huge stigma against them, especially from the DIY guys. You know, yeah. they see, you never see the good stuff like that. You see all the bad stuff. Oh, this, this outfit blocked a road or this guy came in and scared off my animals. And so people that have never been on a guided hunt, they just assume every one of us is like that. And it, it really makes me mad because it's like, I'm not, if I come up to an area and I see trucks parked and I see guys getting out, I'm not going to shoot in and hurry and get all my stuff and take off in front of them. It's you got there first. Good luck. I'll move to another spot, mm-hmm. but yeah. I have an advantage. I have an advantage because I spend so much time on the mountain. I average about 250 days to 280 days a year. I have multiple spots. So if one guy or, a bunch of guys are parked in a spot that I wanted to hunt. I'll just move on to my next spot and I'll just keep going until I find a good spot that's available. And sometimes I, I let other hunters, if I'm in an area where there's, it's just crowded with hunters, there's no choice, but to hunt that area. I've learned how to use other hunters to my advantage. So yeah. I'll let them push the animals right to us, you know, yeah. adapt and so overcome. I don't need, <laughs> exactly. I don't need to go out and take anyone's spots. I don't need to go. Sh- if someone's on a 200 inch buck and I'm sitting there with a client, I'll tell the client, Hey, let's see if they can get this. You know, if they don't get it, the buck runs off in the next Canyon, then it's fair game. Let's go after it. But if they shoot We're it, watch where it goes, <laughs> you know, heck yeah, this is awesome. It's an experience that yeah. everybody gets to be a part of. And so yeah. I've had it, I've got a really good reputation because of that. And I got a lot of repeat clients because of my, my ethics, you know, my values and standards on a hunt, but just, I always get my, Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I was, I was just going to say, it's just a, it's just a way better experience if you approach it like that. Like, um, if you see somebody pull up to the same trailhead at you as the, at the same time, I just always talk to that person. I always just walk over and be like, Hey, where are you headed? What's, what are you up to? I don't want to step on any toes. Like, let's get your plan. And then nine times out of 10, they give you all their, their intel on the area. I mean, that's not as pertinent to you as the outfit as the guide who's been in the area a lot of days, but for somebody like me, who's not in there very much, um, nine times out of 10, they're just like dropping all their knowledge on you. And then you just made a buddy and then you can kind of coordinate and figure out who's going where and you don't step on any toes. It's just a, it's just a way more pleasant experience than if you try and charge off. And then later on, if you guys bump into each other, there's already a little bit of bad blood. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I don't want to come back to my truck or my side by side or four wheeler or whatever we're in and have slashed tires. Cause I pissed some guy off. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I'd rather be friends. I mean, I get flack from some outfitters that I've worked for in the past because I'm not a competitive guy. I, I don't feel like I need to compete with other outfits or other guides. I'm friends with a lot of guides for other outfits and we talk and it's like, you know, and even outfitters and I've had some outfitters be like, well, you can really hurt yourself doing that. Well, I've been doing it for a decade and it's never, I mean, I've lost animals to other guides cause they know that I was after something or they see pictures that I posted, but that's part of the game. It's no different than a construction company competing with the next construction company. There's no reason to have bad blood and no reason to be underbidding this guy, overbidding this guy, like competing with each other. If everybody works as a team, we're, we're there for one goal and that's to yeah. serve, serve the hunters that don't have the experience, which kind of gets into, you know, we talked about this a little bit ago, but why choose a guided hunt versus a DIY hunt? 
Right. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's get into that a little bit. Um, cause I, I'm sure you have the, the wide range of experience levels coming to you as clients from the very first hunt that they've ever been on, onto somebody who hunts quite frequently, but they just are onto a new species or they drew a once in a lifetime tag and they want an outfit for it so that they can like raise their chances of success or, and you know, you kind of get the whole spectrum. So yeah. let, let's talk about some of those, maybe the reasons why a, a newbie would want to hire a guide and then uh, maybe some, some stories or something that illustrates some common mistakes and maybe lessons that you continue, you find yourself teaching over and over again to new hunters. Definitely. So I think the most, the, I get, I get this question asked almost every year by people. Why, you know, why should I choose a guided hunt? Like what's the benefit of hiring you versus going out on my own? And my number one thing is time. I mean, I'm in the mountains already. I'm between shed hunting, uh, summer scouting, working with my houndsman on uh, running his hounds and training them. I mean, I'm in the mountains a lot and a lot of us guides are. And so we have the time to scout, which is a benefit for the hunter because now he can spend more time at home with his family and he can also spend more time at work to save up those vacation days. So he's not having to waste all this vacation to come out and scout. He can now use that vacation to go take his family on a trip before he comes out and gets, you know, gets on the mountain with us and it keeps, it keeps their wives happy. It keeps them happy. We're already up there doing it. So why not put us to work and have a scout for you? So I think time is probably one of the biggest reasons. And a lot of DIY hunters, you know, they go out and they'll scout on a weekend cause they work Monday through Friday. I'm on the mountain Sunday through Saturday. I live in the mountains. I live in a small town here in Utah. I live right in the heart of our Wasatch unit. I, I can literally get on my back deck and scout in every direction and see animals. And so the time thing is a big thing. The second reason I think guys <clears throat> book hunts is education. And a lot of guys from, you know, I get, a, I get about half. So I get half my guys for here in the state and I get half of them from out of state. And it's just the knowledge. If, if we're up there scouting all year, we know what the animals are doing. We know the patterns. I know my elk around here. I know the deer, the moose. I know I can take guys into areas that always have animals. Whereas some guys, they'll go into a spot and they won't know like, okay, where are the elk going to be? We've, we've hunted elk so much that we know these specific canyons and these springs that they hit and the wallows that they hit and their feeding areas, their bedding grounds, we know, okay, at this time of day, they're usually over here feeding. Here in an hour, they're going to go over here to their bedding ground. So if, if I put you right in between those areas, chances are you're going to harvest something. And I love teaching people. Um, you know, I get guys that don't know the difference between a buck and a doe track or a bull and a cow track. And so being able to teach those guys that, you only have to teach them once and they'll always remember it. Um, a lot of guys, you know, they... I'm, I like to say I'm a pretty good elk caller, um, but I don't call it, consider myself an elk caller. I consider myself an elk talker. I've studied elk quite a bit. Um, I've competed in some smaller competitions. I've been a judge for the world elk calling competition. I believe there's a huge difference between calling elk and talking to them. If you understand the language and understand what that bull saying and what that cow saying, you can normally break into their herd and steal that bull away and, a lot of guys will just go up on the mountain and start cow calling and bugling 
not knowing what they're doing and they'll they wonder okay why did that herd just run away and so if i can teach guys hey you know that bull just let out a lip ball that's an aggressive call he wants to fight let's get in as close as we can i'm going to lip ball back with a little bit of a chuckle at the end or a, a really deep grunt that's going to piss him off he wants to fight or that bull's just doing a locator call i'm not going to call at all i'm just going to move straight in and get as close as i can and hopefully find him so you know there's there's education education's a big thing um and i would say the third thing is honestly money some guys out there i don't want to i don't ever call them lazy but they're they're opportunists they have the money they've made they've made a successful life so why not book a hunt this guy's you know if i hire a guide he's going to do all this pre-work for me i can sit here and relax kind of goes back to the time thing i can spend more time with my family you know, all this stuff, sure, I'll pay this guy and he can go do all the legwork for me. And then I just got to show up and hopefully get it done. So yeah. there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons um, why I think people should, you know, would, would choose. I don't think anybody should ever, you know, or have to book a hunt, but it's, it's a choice that a hunter needs to make. I always recommend anybody, even if you're a DIY, strictly DIY guy, go on a guided hunt or go hang out with a guide and, and let him take you out. You know, even if it's a buddy of yours and it's just a freebie hunt, see, see the difference between having someone take you versus you taking yourself and you be the judge. Is it worth having a guide or is it worth just keep doing my, my own thing? You know? Yeah. And it's, de- it's definitely I, better to experience it. And then instead of just judging it and writing it off without having experienced it. <laughs> Exactly. And then I think the fourth reason is the resources that we have as, as guides and outfitters. Um, you know, as a DIY hunter, you go in, you kill your animal, you can call up some buddies and they may show up or some of your buddies may be lazy and they're like, screw you, dude. I know which canyon you killed that in. I'm not helping you pack it out. We as guides, we're just as lazy, but we just have the resources. You know, I, if you come with us and you shoot a big bull in a deep canyon, I'm, we're not packing that out on our backs. I'm going to call my wrangler. He's going to bring his horses and we're going to do it the easy way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another thing, some guys they are DIY hunters, but they've killed smaller animals. Now they want to kill something bigger. We generally find bigger animals, but they've never caped something out or caped the whole head out. So now's an opportunity for them to learn and for me to teach them, Hey, this is how you do it. You know, different taxidermists want different cuts, but this is the general, general kind of cut you want to make less sewing for a taxidermist. Your taxidermist is going to be a lot happier, you know? And so there's multiple reasons why people book hunts and I do a lot of stuff with veterans. You know, there's a whole other realm of guiding. I take a lot of veterans, uh, a lot of wounded veterans, uh, paraplegics. I take law enforcement, firefighters, because they've been hurt in the line of duty. They can't get around. They don't have. They can't go out and scout. You get some veterans, and I can, you know, as a veteran, I can usually, I, I can say this, but some veterans, they're just kind of, they're kind of different. They're weird. <laughs> We're all weird. <laughs> some of them are kind of, you know, they want to hunt, but they don't trust a lot of people. They've had something happen to them in their career where they're like. You know, PTSD is a huge thing, but when you, when veterans find out that, oh, my guide's a veteran, okay, I can probably trust him because we have that camaraderie and that trust. So I take a lot of those guys out and I try to do a couple free ones each year just to give guys that experience and, hey, you know, you're having a rough time in your life, PTSD, the mountains saved me. Let's see if we can get the mountains to save you. I bring them out and then 
I, I took one of my, so my job in the army is we were uh, combat engineers. We did IEDs, dug up IEDs, all that kind of stuff. And then I was also a mechanic. Well, one of my old platoon sergeants, he'd never been hunting a day in his life. And so through an organization, we got him on a mountain lion hunt for his very first hunt. And ever since that hunt, I mean, he was successful in that hunt, but ever since then, that guy is just a monster on the mountain now. He's, he kills every year. He kills nice animals. He's always sending me updates like, check out what I got. And, you know, then also ask me questions. What kind of gear should I buy? What kind of camo? What, what works for you? I mean, obviously guides are usually in the mountains quite a lot more than anyone else. So we go through gear fast. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we, we know what gear works and what gear doesn't. Um, you know, we, we pick up sponsors and if I can teach someone how to hunt and I can teach somebody about the animals, I think I've done a pretty good job as a guide. Sweet. Let's, so let's get into some of those specifics that you kind of, um, you touched on a little bit. So, um, like you, a lot of those beginner hunters, those lessons you're teaching them, like the difference between a bull track and a cow track or between a doe and a buck track. Um, what are maybe some of those things that, um, well, let's start with gear a little bit. So what are the yeah. things that you see guys show up with and you look, you give them one look and you just kind of do the face palm thing and be like, Oh, I hope you're not using that. Like what are some common gear things that you see that are like gear fails? Boots. <laughs> It's always boots. If um, I had to guess, that's what I would have guessed. <laughs> just like in the military, your feet are the most important part of your body because your feet are what make that carry you along. And so I get guys that'll come out and they're from back east. They're not, they've never been in the west. They don't know, you know, our elevations are anywhere from 6,000 feet all the way up to 12,000 feet. They've never been in rocky conditions. I have guys show up in muck boots and I'm like, uh, we got to get you a pair of boots. <laughs> yeah, they're waterproof, but you're going to break your ankle. And so boots are obviously going to be the number one thing that uh, guys always show up with that you not always, I guess most of my clients, I try to, I, the, the, from the moment I talk to them about the hunt all the way through until their hunt shows up, I'm always in communication, whether it's sending them pictures of animals that we're finding or I, I'm always stressing, ask me any questions. And I have a gear list that I send them all. And it's gear that I've went through over the years and said, okay, this works, this doesn't. So I'll send them that gear list, but boots is the number one thing. So typically last few years, um, as I've gotten smarter as a guide, I usually tell people, hey, what kind of boots are you wearing? And if they say, oh, I'm wearing, you know, some Nike tennis shoes or I wear my buck muck boots. Okay. Well, I recommend you getting these because they're budget friendly, but they're going to protect your feet and your ankles are the most important. Cause I don't want you to come out and break your ankle on a hunt. So what's an example of the boots that you'd recommend to somebody like that? Um, I'm a big fan of Zamberlin. Um, okay. but you got Kenetrek, crispy Loa. I mean, all those big name brand boots. If you look at them, they all look almost identical but it's the fit that's the most important. So I, even though I like Zamberlins, I don't tell people, oh, Zamberlins are the boots to go with. It's just like picking up a bow or everyone's asking, which rifle do I get? Which bow do I get? Go shoot, you know, a bunch of bows. Go try on a bunch of boots. What feels comfortable for you? That's what you got to wear on your hunts. I can tell you Zamberlins and you go buy a pair of Zamberlins and your feet are going to kill you the whole entire time because they're not, 
they're not wide enough or the no, the nose is too narrow for you on the on the toes or the heels are just wearing you know wearing right through your your skin so i always tell guys you know these are what i wear i would get a similar style boot but go try on a, a few different name brands and see which ones work for you whether it's irish setter loa crispy um Kenetrex, whatever it is that's probably what i would recommend but you got to try them on first yeah that that I, that was what i was going to guess is like boots they're so important and that's something i spend a lot of time troubleshooting and whenever yeah. i wear out a pair of boots i'm always like dang it i gotta start over a little bit and i i try new boots and then i end up just going back to the same ones that fit my feet and i just keep yeah. buying the same ones <laughs> You know, and I have like I have a pair of Cabela's Speed Hunter Boas, so they have the Boa system on it on there. They're yeah. geared more towards archery hunting, so it also depends on the season you're coming out to hunt, mm-hmm. the type of animal you're coming to hunt. I usually try to have everything pre-planned when I book a client. I start planning his hunt almost right away. Okay, he's got this tag. This is one of my good areas. We're going to go on there. So then I think, okay, well, he doesn't need as heavy duty as a boot as like the Kenetrex or the Zamberlins. He can get something like the Danners, you know, something that's a little softer, more malleable, something a little more comfortable, more lightweight, something that's breathable. You know, if it's August, we obviously don't need 800 gram insulation. You know, don't make your feet sweat because then you're going to cause blisters and and all that stuff so it it kind of depends on the season but generally the boots are the the number one thing that a lot of guys will if they don't know they'll show up with the wrong gear yeah, and then sure. i think the next thing um would be packs at least in my opinion you know you see all these guys on youtube and stuff and they're carrying these big everly stock packs that are just fully geared out and it's like in my opinion i'm like why are you carrying so much gear unless you're yeah. <laughs> You unless you're back, yeah. Unless you're backpack hunting, I mean, I just did a backpack hunt a couple of weeks ago, and I had 77 pounds of gear on my back. Dang. And we went straight up a mountain. It was almost three and a half miles straight up, and then we went another two miles down, and then a mile up another one. And by the time I got done, I was like, I screw this. I'm I'm dropping everything. I'm just gonna carry a little. What I guide with is I have a little day pack, and I carry two water bottles. I carry a first aid kit. Um, I carry my calls, game bags, knives, and some food. And that's all I carry because that's all I need when I'm hunting. And so I have, I've had guys show up with like pots and pans and all this crazy stuff in their pack. And I'm like, why are you packing all that gear? Yeah. (laughs) All you need to carry is water, food, snacks, your own knives if you want to, maybe a first aid kit, GPS, that kind of stuff. But you don't need to bring four different jackets, two pairs of pants. If it rains, we're either going to get out of here and you might get wet for a second, or we're going to get up underneath something that's providing shelter. I carry usually some poncho, some emergency poncho liners. You know, if it rains, you don't need to carry all this gear. You're just, all you're doing at that point is you're slowing yourself down. You're wearing yourself out. I want you to enjoy your entire hunt, not be gung ho for the first two days. And then day three, four and five, you're just exhausted. Yeah. You can't get out of bed cause you're so sore. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason if you book a hunt, there's no reason for you to bring all that gear. Cause the guide's going to have what's necessary for the hunt. Anyways, you just, it's basically your personal stuff that you want to have a camelback, you know, camera, whatever you want to bring. That's fine. But like the guys that bring pots and pans still, it blows my mind every time I, I talk about it. Cause it's like, I had a guy legit bring like full size 
pots and pans like he stole out of his wife's cupboard. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm not planning on building a fire and cooking squirrel for you right now, but I got, you know, <laughs> we got snacks, we make our food, we make our lunches before we leave camp in the mornings. Like <laughs> it's, it's funny, but if, but I'm not the type that's going to tell a guy, don't bring that. That's dumb. I'm going to tell you, Hey, I wouldn't bring it, but if you want to carry it around the mountain, that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, I can see why somebody would think that. We're like, well, what if we need to cook something up? They're like, I don't know. I, uh, it's still pretty dumb. <laughs> yeah, and but. you know, third would obviously be the camo. Um, it's I, I had a guy drive all the way from Quebec, Canada, just to come hunt spike elk, which blew my mind at first because I'm like, that's a long ways to come and kill yeah. just a spike. But he wanted just to experience um elk hunting and i was like well if you're going to drive down here why don't you experience america stop at all these parks and so i built an itinerary a travel stop thing for him and so he stopped at all of our national parks and went to yellowstone so i made it worth him the money he spent was worth it because he got to go experience all that but he showed up in typical uh you know, Northeastern Canadian, like full on winter clothes. And so we had like these giant, like wool pants and wool jackets and wool coats and wool shirts. And it was August. And I was like, dude, you're going to die of heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then not only that, walking through some of our brush, you know, you get burr sticking to you and he'd come, he'd walk through a set of, of trees or whatever, and he'd come out covered in stickers and burrs. And so finally, after the first day, I was like, look, let's go down to our local sportsman's. Let's get you some camo or let's go down to King's camo or whatever you want to wear. Let's go get you some decent camo and make sure it's the right camo for the right time of year and you'll be good. And yeah. he wear it now. He's, he's still to this day. He'll, he'll write me once in a while. It's hard to understand him because I understand a little bit of French, but he's full on French. And oh, so okay. it's you know, sometimes when you're a guide, you have to start picking up on different languages. I know some guys that are fluent in Spanish and some guys that are fluent in Russia, Russian and, and, you know, French because Canadians come down here and hunt and um, at least the Eastern side of Canada that speaks French, but he still wears his King's camo um, up in Canada. And now all he does is just carry his jacket and stuff like that if he needs, but he's a moose hunter. So he's, he doesn't hunt deer. He just hunts moose every year. So the, the gear he had was geared for moose hunting in the freezing cold in Canada. Yeah. So and not know. in the, the dry high desert of our mountains. Yeah. yeah. And so, like I said, though, the last few years since I became a smarter guide, I usually don't have issues with people and their gear when they show up because I, I try to take care of that. You get ahead of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I, tr- I try to make it as seamless as possible to make it as comfortable as possible and to make everything go as smoothly as possible when you're here. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I've, that's been a huge game changer for me is, is quality clothing. Cause when you're comfortable, you perform better and you can stay out longer and you are not going to be complaining and you can just focus on what you're doing and exactly. you're not worried about anything else that's going on. And yeah, it's, it's worth an investment. I did an entire episode on clothing, um, just talking about that very subject. Cause before I was just like totally cheap. I'm like, I'm not dropping, you know, 600, 800, a thousand dollars on a set of clothing just for hunting season, you know, for somebody like me who doesn't go out a ton. Um, but man, it has been a game changer that quality clothing 
Um, oh, oh yeah. And it's, I'm still, I'm cheap. I, I still refuse to pay $350 for a jacket, no matter how good, I'd rather freeze than go buy one of those $350 jackets. Yeah, Cause I'm just, the, that's how I like, am. <laughs> yeah. Like the rain gear that it's like $650 for a set of rain gear. It's like, no thanks. I'll like grab some frog togs for 25 exactly. bucks off Amazon. <laughs> like that's my go-to. I'm like, yep, and then if I don't... rip them or whatever, it's, it's like, it's fine. <laughs> Yep. Just don't throw your frog togs in the dryer because then you'll think, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's made for a four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they melt up that's real probably quick. <laughs> That's probably the one thing all hunters will always have in common is we are all some sort of investors because you have to invest in everything. When it, I mean, I think archery is probably the most expensive sport as far as hunting goes. Um, you know, and then you got your rifle hunts and then you got your muzzies probably coming in at the end because muzzies aren't that much money and there's not much you can do. You can get into those, you know, three, four, five, six thousand $6,000 muzzies, but archery, I think, is by far the most expensive. I mean, you yeah, can go buy a box of, you can buy a box of bullets for 10 to 40 bucks, but arrows are $60 plus. Yeah. And you always have to get new arrows. Yep. <laughs> so oh, I do. <laughs> I know yeah. I do. Yeah. And it's expensive in time too, because it just requires a lot more practice to be proficient with a bow than it does with a rifle. And at least for a certain distance. I mean, I, I'm not like a long distance rifle shooter by any means, but to be a proficient archer at 40, 50, 60 yards, you just got to practice a lot more than you do with a rifle. So it's expensive in time too. What you just said brings up another huge valid point is we as Western hunters, 60, 70, 80, there's some guys out there that will shoot 90 yards. That's, that's just like, that's a no brainer for us. We were spot and stock hunters and, you know, we're not sitting in tree stands and getting animals in at 20, 30 yards. And so that's probably another big thing um, that I have to remind clients is they always ask me, what's our shots going to be like? And I'll tell them, Oh, you know, 60 yards or under. And they're like 60 yards. Like the yeah. furthest I've ever shot is 27 yards. And I'm like, what do you mean you had 27 yards? Like, yeah. yeah, my pins are set up at 13, 17, 25. It's like, okay, well, you need to, I always tell guys, you know, I would say 40 yards is my average shot uh, with a client. But at that, go and practice out to 80 yards, double your, you know, mm-hmm. your yardage and get comfortable shooting those 80 yard shots or 70 yard shots or even 60 because when that elk or that deer, or that moose or whatever it is, is 30, 40 yards from you, target panic. <laughs> yeah. And target panic is kind of out the window because you've been practicing such long shots and, you know, Easterners, they, that's another reason why guys book hunts is the guys from back East, they, they've never been out here and they don't know how to hunt our terrain. It's no different than me going out to Tennessee to hunt deer. You know, I don't know the rules. I don't know the regulations. Obviously you can study them and Google them and all that and do your, do your research, but it's, it's still hard. Yeah. It's, um, just, a, it's just a different style. And so I think when people are, are not prepared for that, that's when you can, you know, have surprises. And that's an, one thing that I've heard from people a lot is people coming out West for the first time, they don't realize how big the country is and what, how steep the terrain is, especially here and like oh, exactly. on, the, on the Wasatch and in the Uintas and stuff. And here in Utah, like 
I mean, there's other places too that are less less crazy as far as steep terrain goes, but most places around here where the elk and deer are, it's really steep and rocky and you're going to be gaining some elevation over a very short period of time and you got to be in shape and the elevation is high and, and people aren't used to elevation and you know, they, they're just sucking wind a lot more because they're not exactly. used to it. And I get a lot of guys that they'll tell me, Oh, I've, I've been working out for six months straight preparing for this hunt. And I tell them all the time, you can, you can be a cross country runner from Florida and then come out here and you're still going to get your tail kicked by our elevation. And yeah. so the COVID thing helped out a lot because my recommendations for guys that are training to come out here, especially on an elk hunt or even a sheep hunt, wear a mask while you're working out, wear a mask while you're running yeah. on the treadmill <laughs> or running around your area because you need to strengthen your lungs more than you need to strengthen yeah. your legs and your back and your arms. Yeah. And that's, that's something I had to learn in the military because I could go to, you know, I was in Florida for a little bit with the army and we had to do a two mile PT run. And at my age at the time, I had to run it in under 14 minutes. So I'd be out in Florida and I would kill it. I'd be at, you know, 12, four, 12, five. And then I could come back out here a week and a half later, run the same test. And I would be barely making my time at 14 minutes. Yeah. So it, was, it makes a huge difference. Like when I go to seed level and start running, I'm like, man, I could feel like I'd run forever down here. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. And I, I live at like 4,500 feet in elevation, but most of my, my cardio exercise when I'm hiking and stuff is around six to eight, 8,000 feet of elevation. Yeah. And then 10 feels a lot better than it would if you're going from zero to 10. Exactly. And I, I think I'm at 78 or 8,000 feet where I live. Um, but even, I mean, every year, the, no matter no matter how hard I prepare myself, I'm sucking wind for that first hunt or those first two hunts, which is nice because I can pace myself because the clients I have are usually from out of state. So I let them set the pace. And, you know, you get called a mountain goat every year. Like everyone's like, wow, you're like a mountain goat. It's like, actually, I'm going kind of slow for my normal pace, but let's keep doing this because I'm kicking, I'm kicking butt right now. Like (laughs) I feel good going at your pace, but then you'll get some of those guys that I had a guy come down from uh, Montana and hunt with me. And I mean, it took every bit of strength I had to keep up with that guy because he was a, uh, a cattleman and a houndsman and those houndsmen, they're a different breed. Those guys just go and we have our houndsman that we have. I mean, he's, I don't know any of us that can keep up with him. And the, the weird thing is that guy hikes in cowboy boots and we're all in these, like, oh. you know, 300, $400 <laughs> boots and he's just killing it on the mountain. But that sounds horrible. Hounds, hounds, yeah. But houndsmen, they're <laughs> just, they're weird. <laughs> well, I don't think people, I don't think people realize how difficult of a job that is. Um, running, running dogs up in that train. I mean, the, the, especially when you're chasing lions, they, they just go in like a straight line. Like the lions don't care and the dogs will just follow the lions. And then you're just like diving into a deep car, dark Canyon only to just come straight back up. And you're like, just nuts, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, you know, lions, luckily they don't have the lung capacity. So they'll run for, you know, a couple miles at first and then they'll tree, and if you're not on that tree right away, 
they'll jump down, they'll run for a little bit longer, get in another tree or on a ledge. And the dogs, you know, they work them and work them until they get them tired. But bears, man, those things will just run forever. <laughs> and so usually if we're running bears, it's, okay, the dog's just rigged. We're going to let them go. They go and we start figuring out which direction they go to. And we try to find the nearest road that's closest to where they're running because, you know, you can follow a bear for 10, 15, 20 miles and you might only be going over two canyons. And as the crow flies, it's only like five miles. But when you're going up and down and zigzagging up mountains, it can turn into 20 miles. And a lot of people don't understand that. I used to, you know, getting into shed hunting, people used to tell me, oh, I did 10 miles today. And I'm like, no, you didn't. I know right where you're at it's not even there's it's not 10 miles but then when you start hiking it it's like wow this is only a two mile stretch but i just zigzagged and went back and forth yeah you yeah. can you can add 10 miles real quick yeah if you go like by the step counter it's like 10 miles but if you look at the area you covered it's like one <laughs> yeah two. i mean even this year guiding i'm at 397 miles right now on my boots i'm at 67.8 miles on horseback driving's only been like 43 miles 53 miles something like that but it's like i look back at all the hunts i've done and i'm like how did i get to that many miles because you look at it on google earth and you can do a straight line and measure it or on onyx maps and it's like oh that's only 16 miles but for some reason you did 32 you know you doubled it but it's so i always tell people be prepared for be prepared for that kind of conditioning and the training and wear a mask when you train if you're from back east because it'll really your lungs are what will push you through the mountains and then worry about your feet and your legs don't yeah. worry about your backs because that's why you hire a guide we we do all the back <laughs> the heavy lifting <laughs> but i it also depends i like getting my clients involved like hey you know my whole my whole culture of coming out with me is I want you to feel like you're hunting with one of your buddies. So do you want to experience cutting up your first animal? I always try to get my clients, if they don't want to cape it or quarter it, I always at least try to get them to make the first incision because they earn that animal. It's their trophy. Here's another part of that animal that you need to be a part of. And yeah, so sure. I've never had a, I've never had a client turn that down. I've had clients say, Hey, you know, I've never gutted an animal. Well, I don't know very many Western hunters that gut anything yeah, anymore. Like, we don't gut stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all about quartering, but Hey, yeah. if you want to learn how to gut something, I guess, I guess I'm going to try to remember how to gut something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be yeah. messy, but we, we can get it done together. But, yeah. but I think you touched on it, a good, uh, a good point there. Um, and we talked about it earlier in the episode too, like uh, this idea of, each individual having an idea of what they want to take out of a hunt. And I don't, we're talking about earlier, um, like if somebody wants the biggest buck or bull of their life, or if they just want to have the experience. And I don't think there's anything wrong with either one of those things. Like if they want, if they have a number in their head and a measurement, um, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. And if they just want the experience, you know, like that, that grandpa who wanted to kill that moose with his grandsons there, I mean, yeah. I think both of those are, are just great things. And you just got to like go for what you really want, understand that and make it clear before you go on your hunt. And then you're just going to have a lot better experience if you have set your expectations before. So 
<laughs> yeah, and I've I've turned down a lot of hunts. I mean, I could have yeah easily taken their money, had the outfit take their money, took them out, and said yeah we're going to get you on this you know size animal that you want. But if the expectations are way too high, I'm not going to. The worst thing an outfit can do is over promise and under deliver. Under deliver, yeah. So <laughs> we are you know we train we train all of our guides to you know under promise and over deliver. So. If I have a guy tell me, oh, I, I, I only want to book if I can kill a 400-inch bulls, I know some outfits out there will say, yeah, that's easy. We can get it done. We, they'll send them a picture from a bull that they saw three years ago. They may even know that it's killed, um, but they want, they want the money. And yeah. you know, greed is what ruins a lot of outfits and what ruins a lot of DIY hunters uh outlook on guides because greed does play a huge effect we're humans it's it's our nature and so even when i first started out guiding i was like i want to book everybody i can i I want the money and i've learned over the years and i've had old timers tell me you know you need to slow your roll young buck like (laughs) it shouldn't be about the money and it slowly evolved into i do it as a passion like my favorite thing i so i just had some deer hunters um it was her first, her very first hunt ever. She'd never killed anything. Uh, she's a, she's not old by any means, but she's older, you know, compared to what most people start out hunting. And her 72 year old dad was with us and her husband, and he had a tag. Well, she, we made her the priority because the 72 year old dad was like, I just want to see my little girl shoot something. Like that'll just mean the world to me. And so we focused on her and she shot a little spike by two. Uh, she was seriously just after the meat and I, I like those kind of hunts cause it's their first hunt. They're not looking for some 200 inch buck that they watched on some primos video. Mm-hmm. And they're excited about that one by two. <laughs> oh, she was, yeah. she was in heaven. The dad had tears in his eye. That right there. I would take that over any 200 inch buck that just some guys shot 10 of them in his life. And he's like, Oh, cool. That's why I guide because I love seeing stuff like that. It's, you know, the knowledge that I was a part of that, you know, I helped them achieve that one goal that they had. That I think is the most important part for a guy to understand. It's not always a, a trophy is the kill, no matter what size it is. It's not always about the antlers. You know, you hear people say, Oh, you can't eat the antlers. No, there's, I'm a trophy hunter. I'm always yeah, looking like, for a trophy. Yeah, but they're nice to look at. And if there were two standing right next to each other, you're going to shoot the bigger one every single time. Exactly. And I, I'm a trophy hunter. I'll admit it, but do I kill trophies? No, I'm a crappy hunter. I'm a phenomenal guide, but I am a crappy hunter. I have Mm -hmm. the worst luck. I can take clients in, get them on 350 inch bowls on the Wasatch. I can get them on 180 inch bucks or bigger on, you know, our general season units, our extended archery units. But if I try to go hunt for myself, I'm like, there's a spike. There's a two point. There's a spike by two there's a 200 inch bowl, like it's, (laughs) but I'm an opportunist. So I'll never pass up an opportunity. I had the big bowl tag on the Wasatch for archery two years ago. And I shot a little tiny dinky five by five. Oh really? How many, how many points did you have? I had eight. It took me forever to draw the archery tag. Now everyone draws it with five points, two points, three. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I was just, Burned I was one year, I was one, if I wouldn't have drawn it that year, I would have put it in for Muzzy because I think the Muzzy hunt's probably the best. But I was embarrassed. Um, I was really embarrassed when I shot that bowl. Like, wow, it's a limited entry hunt. And I shot something that 
I mean, I know guys that would have shot a spike over what I shot. And it took me a whole entire year to kind of humble myself and realize, you know what? I was guiding from almost my entire hunt, uh, which was nobody's fault but my own. I could have killed a bigger bull, I'm sure. But I, I chose to take people out that really wanted to go out on a hunt. So I literally had, I think, three days to hunt. The first day I hunted hard. And I was just so demotivated at that, at that point because I didn't see a single elk. Second to last day came. I was sitting on my bed. Or actually, I was sitting on my couch. It was about 6.30 at night. And I was like, you know what? I can hunt the extended, but let's go give it one more try. Called up my buddy. said, hey, I know it's late. We probably ain't going to see anything, but do you want to run up and see if we can't see a bull? He's like, yeah, let's go. So I showed up to the spot I wanted to be at 7, 11 p.m., I heard a, I started cow calling, heard a bull bugle. I got across this big meadow. I set up uh, 716. I was set up 723. I called that bull in at 725. He was dead. Oh my gosh. What so a night. <laughs> it, you know, and I, when he came through the trees, I'll never forget it. I didn't see his rat. I saw that he had antlers and he looked like a 450 inch bull to me. <laughs> And I drew back and he came in at 20 yards, stopped, turned, walked right to me, got five yards away, kind of sniffed the tree, the quakey that I was sitting on the other side of, turned around, walked away at 18 yards. I, I double lunged him and he ran head first into a quakey. It was the loudest sound I've ever heard. It sounded like two cars getting in a crash and he died right there. And so wow. it took me a whole year to realize it, but my bowl is a trophy. I don't care what anybody says because right. it's those those time frames that I remember and him walking up to the tree and sniffing the tree and then me shooting him and him heading running head first into I still think the tree killed him first. <laughs> I know he he was gonna die. Got like I'm pretty sure I'm in a boxing match or something. Oh he took off running and went head first right into the tree and then he he died literally like sixteen yards from the side by side. That's awesome. So <laughs> It was, it took me a year to finally like, you know, suck it up and humble myself and be like, you know what, that's what made that hunt a trophy. And so that's the, that's how I try to treat all my hunts, my guided hunts is it's not, yeah, you can kill. I mean, I've killed some big animals. There's, there was a famous buck on the extended archery hunt called blackjack and my buddy Kurt ended up killing that. And, you know, it pissed a lot of people off because they're like, why would you take him in there? I've shot at that buck. And even to this day, I'll be up there and I'll get people tell me, yeah, there used to be a buck called Blackjack. And they'll tell me all sorts of stories that they heard. Oh, he was killed way up here, way over there. And they don't realize yeah, I was there I was when there. it happened. <laughs> and he literally got shot a hundred yards away from the main road and he died in his tracks. And it was, it was like a 10 minute pack out. Like, but I'll hear some of the craziest stories and, you know, I finally will tell him, well, here, check this out. And I'll show him the pictures of him with me and my buddy that shot him, Kurt uh, Lawson. And they're like, what? This is crazy, you know? And so I've killed some big animals. I've, I've killed multiple 350-inch bulls with clients. I don't post every single animal that um, I guide just because every guide out there, it's, you know, your reputation is what makes you a guide. And so there's guys out there that will post you know, they'll kill three, four, five, 350 inch bulls, multiple 160, 170, 180 inch bucks. I don't want to be, I don't want to ever seem too cocky, which I do get cocky sometimes. I, I'm man enough to admit that I was cocky on my own bull hunt and look what happened to me. <laughs> so, 
but it's, you know, I've, I've been part of big animals being taken and I've helped out other guides and I've been on other hunts and they're just as, you know, they're just as fun as the guy that shoots the little spike or the two point buck or the spike elk, you know, cow elk. People ask me all the time, why would someone book a spike elk hunt? You know what? I honestly don't know either. Would I book a spike elk hunt? <laughs> Probably not. But like, there's guys from back east that they want to hunt big bulls, and obviously Utah's a draw state. And so I'll tell them, hey, you know. Do it on the spike unit and then come back to the same unit when you have the tag. <laughs> exactly. So coming yeah. out, come out here. You've never hunted elk. You want to apply for the big bull tag. Let's get you applied. But buy an over-the-counter spike tag. Come out here on the archery hunt, rifle, whatever hunt. You know, aside from this year when tags kind of sold out in the first day for oh, the yeah. first time and who knows yeah. how long. But uh, come out here and experience an elk hunt. You know, see if it see if it's worth you putting in for a big bull. Because I get some guys that'll come out here and they'll say, "I'll never try hunting elk again. That's way too hard." Yeah. <laughs> And, you're you know, like all right it's, it, <laughs> more room for the rest of us <laughs> that's the problem with a lot of these hunting shows is you know you watch these hunting shows and they're awesome shows but they they're in elk back to back non-stop but people don't realize that was filmed probably over a one week period or two weeks or even a mm-hmm. month yeah. and they consolidate it into 30 minutes that's not how elk hunting is unless you're on a private ranch uh private property a cwmu where there's no pressure this is public land hunting do not expect what you see on TV to happen for you. Yeah, for sure. It's you're, you're earning these animals you're not just being given to them. And my job as a guide is I'm going to help you earn that animal. I'm going to do everything I can. Um, you know, there's not a lot that'll keep me from hunting. Like I said earlier, I have Crohn's disease and a couple weeks ago, I was on a hunt with one of our other guides and we had, uh, three clients and I don't know what happened, but, I just started getting sick out of nowhere and I ended up start, I started puking up blood and almost passed out. I mean, I puked up probably enough blood that I should have, we should have called life flight and got me out of there, but I'm so stubborn. Those guys paid us to take them on a hunt. I'd rather die than like, literally I, w- I would have rather have died on that hunt than leave one guide with those guys and me go sit home and relax. And I already got paid for the hunt. And it, it made those guys respect me a lot. It made me respect myself, but I ended up having an ulcer rupture in my stomach and caused a hole in my stomach. So I was bleeding internally, but I still stuck it out. You know, I stuck it out those last two days of the hunt because I'm so stubborn and so stupid. I was more worried about them getting their money's worth than me dying on the mountain. But Will I do that again? Probably not. That kind of scared the hell out of me. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Sounds like you might have pushed it a little too far that time. (laughs) Like I said, it's, I always learn something every year. And so now I've learned, okay, I better go get me one of them Garmin GPS things so I can text my wife, bye. Hey, I love you. I'm dying. (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. That thing has, that thing has saved my marriage. I've got one of those things. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a game changer for sure. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I'm that peace of mind. It's safer. And usually, you know, we have on X, we have ways to communicate. Um, but now it's like, okay, my wife says you can go spend the money and get you one of them. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to die on the mountain. I, yeah. I would at least like to say goodbye to you and the children, but yeah, for sure. You know, and, it takes and, a lot of 
passion and drive to continue to do something that's literally I literally thought I was dying. My, my doctor has been my doctor for years. And he, when I finally went and saw him, when I got back, he's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't think doctors are supposed to talk to their patients. He's like, I'm not talking to you as a doctor. I'm talking to you as one of your friends. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. like, you're going to pay me all this money to make sure you stay alive. Well, I guess that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's obvious that you're very passionate about this. You've got a ton of knowledge on this. And, uh, I'm sure there's some people who are going to want to, uh, know a little bit more about you and follow your journey. Where, uh, where can people follow you or, uh, look up your outfit? Where, where can guys go to contact you? So, yeah, so it's, it's X Factor Outfitters. I'm just the, I'm the senior guide. Um, Rob Hardy is the outfitter. You can find us at www.xfactoroutfitters.com. Uh, you can search X Factor Outfitters on all social media you know well not twitter we don't do twitter but instagram facebook mm-hmm. you can just look me up on online yes you know look up Stephen james i'm just a short fat bearded dude <laughs> and uh you know all i'm right. always posting crazy stuff but we have fun and yeah cool well i'll link to all that stuff in the description of the, of the podcast and make sure it's easy for you guys to find but um perfect dude steven this has been awesome um I'm I'm glad I got to catch you in between hunts because this is sounds like you're a super busy man. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm no, really I, glad we got know, to see this. I don't know everything about guiding and I don't know, you know, there's people out there that like me, people that don't like me. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm doing what I love and I invite anybody to join me on that. So cool, man. All right. Well, we'll make it easier for you guys to do so if they want to. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. This has been awesome. Perfect, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you for, you know, giving me the time. Yep, no problem. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Stephen James. And hopefully you were able to get some new insights on guided hunts, on guides, and maybe what to look for if you are considering that type of a hunt. And maybe you just learned a little bit about a perspective on goals for your hunt and having managing those expectations and going on the hunt for the reasons that you want to go. And that's one thing that I really resonated with we talked about at the beginning of our conversation here it's just that there's a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of hunters and we just need to respect that and not jump to conclusions and force our perceptions and our expectations on other hunters and as always we will put the information and all the stuff we talked about in the description of this podcast in the show notes or you can go to huntthewest.us slash 41 and look at the stuff there. And with that, we are over an hour into the show now. And I know if you're still listening, you are a fan of the show. And so I want to reward those of you who are still listening with a special offer. We are going to be updating the logo of the podcast. And with that, the apparel is going to change as well. And we're going to be adding hats and stuff. And right now we only have t-shirts. So if you have a t-shirt with the original logo on it, that is going to be a ticket to special offers and discounts. And I will just always say, if you are a founding member of the podcast, meaning you bought a shirt when we had the original logo, you're going to get special offers and discounts and stuff, okay? So if you want to be part of that exclusive club, this is only going to be around for the next couple weeks, you need to buy a shirt now. So go to huntthewest.us slash shop and buy yourself a shirt and I will 
tag that email address and you will be tagged as an elite member of the Hunt the West podcast. And if you received a shirt as part of, of, of a giveaway for leaving a review or something in the past, you will be added into that as well. But that original t-shirt is going to be a ticket to some amazing offers down the road. So you are going to want to get one as soon as possible. So go there, huntthewest.us slash shop, get your special OG t-shirt. And uh, if not, I mean, you can get one later, but it's not going to be OG, you know? So anyway, that's my last thing. But the main thing I want you guys to do is experiencing the outdoors and have epic adventures. So get out there and hunt the West. Hunt the West.